Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Okay. Today's guest is one of the most positive players on tour. She's dealt with more adversity than most of us do in our entire lives and is just 23 years old. I'm constantly in awe of how well she handles herself on and off the court. She's been dealt a tough hand of cards, and yet her smile seems to continue to beam and her laugh is contagious. After breaking into the top 100 in the WTA in 2014, she was diagnosed with cancer, which took her out of the tour for several months. After coming away victorious over Hodgkin's lymphoma, this unstoppable, hardworking young lady is currently working her way back on the WTA tour and most recently lost in the finals of her first tournament back in over eight months. With such a unique story to tell, such a light, beautiful spirit, I'm so excited to welcome Vicky Duval to talk tennis today. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so let's rewind to the beginning. You grew up in Haiti, correct? Yes. And how did tennis start for you? Was it something that you, your parents played that you just kind of fell into? Did you always know you were going to play pro? Explain growing up as Vicky Duval. So the story of how I got into tennis is really interesting and it's kind of crazy. So my dad loved tennis and we had a court, um, we had a tennis court at our house in Haiti and my brothers, I have two older brothers, they played and they always took lessons and I did ballet um, up until I was seven. And so really the extent of my tennis training, if you will, was going on the court, watching them take their lessons and running, chasing balls, trying to hit them back, not succeeding. <laughs> and, um, every year we drove across the border to the Dominican Republic um, and my brothers played an international tournament there. Um, and we had gone so many years that we were actually quite close with the tournament director at the time. And I remember one year, I think I was seven, and I went and um, the tournament director looked at my parents and said, your daughter sits on your lap every year. Like, you should really put her in the tournament. And my parents were like, no, she doesn't play. <laughs> Thank you. But he was like, no, we have some open slots. Like, it'll be fun. Just put her in the 10 and unders. And so we went to the pro shop. We bought shoes, clothes, racket. Oh I didn't even have any of that with me, obviously. And it was this big 10 and under international tournament. And I won the no tournament. <laughs> That's crazy. And I was like, what is going on? I mean, I still remember the look on my parents' faces. <laughs> like, every night, they were like, what is happening? <laughs> and so it was really interesting because I remember – in some of the, like, especially in my first one or two matches, the chair umpire had to be like, go to the other side. <laughs> like, like, does this girl even know how to play tennis? The answer was no, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just knew that I had to run to every ball and hit it back over the net. So that's kind of what I did. And I had like ballet counts in my head. It was really funny. I was like, one, two, hit, <laughs> and one, two. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. So after that, my parents were like, you have to pick now <laughs> you're not gonna do both so naturally I <laughs> and then you and your mom moved to the United States or did your whole family move to the United States explain how that happened and was it for tennis it was for a fresh start in the U.S. explain that um yeah so it was 
I'd say mostly for tennis. Um, my brothers and I moved with my mom. My dad stayed in Haiti. Um, he was still working. He was in OBGYN there. And, um, yeah, we. I guess my parents just felt like we would have better opportunities in the States mm-hmm. for tennis. And we moved to Pompano Beach and we started at the Rick Macy Academy. Oh, cool. And your brothers also were at the Academy with you? Yes. So at least you had like built in kind of friends. Were you so scared or nervous or were you just excited for a new adventure? Um, I think I was very excited. Um, when I was seven, I was, or yeah, I was seven or eight. Um, I was held hostage at gunpoint in Haiti. So I was <laughs> happy. You were ready to yeah, leave. <laughs> yeah, I was like, let's not have to deal with that again. <laughs> um, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, I think as much as I miss Haiti and I love Haiti, it's it was, you know, becoming a bit unsafe. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, it was mostly for tennis, but I think I was very excited too for the change and definitely having my brothers with me. Like we had long training days. We, I mean, we started... I think our schedule was 9 a.m. to noon and then 3 to 6 p.m. And then we had school after. So we were we were like all in on tennis. So you were doing um, the thing. Yeah, it was. We were doing the thing. So it was nice. Nice. Um, And you mentioned you were robbed at gunpoint just casually threw that in. (laughs) So that probably (laughs) was pretty traumatizing as a young kid. But then also when you guys moved to the U.S. and you had said that your father stayed back to work on his practice. Um, he had some issues with the earthquake in Haiti. Do you want to speak a little bit about that and just give some insight into what happened? Um, yeah. So he was in the basement, um, at the time and we had a three story house in Haiti and, um, obviously all the stories fell on top of him. Um, he was trapped under our house for 11 hours and I honestly am amazed at how he's gone through this whole experience. I think my dad is probably the strongest person I've ever met or encountered in mm-hmm. my life. You know, it's just, it was just a crazy experience, but my dad's a warrior. I mean, I think that's part of where I get my personality. You know, he just yeah. he battles. He was like, all right, then this is what we're doing. <laughs> that's crazy. That's a crazy story. And it yeah. kind of, we can transition into, I don't know how open you are to talking about this, but the whole cancer diagnosis and your treatment and you are a freaking warrior, my dear. Like I, I have to tell you a quick side story. You have always been one of our favorites in at tennis oh. warehouse and oh no God. joke years ago one of my colleagues was at the u.s open and he was at one of your matches and he's sitting in the stadium and he was sending us pictures and he's like my girl vicky's playing <laughs> and you're definitely like for sure one of our favorites to talk about and we love hearing about your comeback whether it's from all of these hardships or an injury or whatnot but yeah let's let's get a little into that whole that whole cancer thing, which cancer sucks. I'm sure you agree, but you were playing the qualifying of Wimbledon when you found out. Is is that right? Yeah. So, um, initially, so to start from the beginning, um, I was playing a tournament in Mexico and I kind of felt something off, um, in my clavicle. And I think I knew a little bit about anatomy. I mean, at least enough to know that like a lump or whatever Mm -hmm. shouldn't really be in that region. Um, So I called my mom and I told her, you know, this is what I'm feeling, whatever. And we just kind of thought, okay, let's see if it goes away, whatever. And 
Then I went to Birmingham, which is the warm-up tournament before um, Wimbledon. And at that point, it had turned from a pea size to, I'd say, like a like a nickel uh-huh. um, or maybe a little bit bigger. And it was really concerning. It, it started hurting, actually, when I would lift my arm and started hindering my mm-hmm. movements a little bit. Um, and I was really scared. So the doctor at the time said, just to be safe, you know, let's biopsy this and see what's going on. So played the tournament, obviously results took a little bit of time and we, we, uh, took the train to Roehampton for the qualifying of Wimbledon and they called me into the office and I was really scared. I mean, I was hopeful that it was, you know, like, Oh, you have a cyst from, I don't know what, (laughs) but like not what they told me. So, um, I remember, I still remember it so clearly. And I, and I I remember my palms were sweating. I was walking up to the building and she said initially that I think she said my actual diagnosis instead of cancer. So I think at the time I didn't even process Mm -hmm. what happened. Um, but then my mom was like trying really hard to hold it together and everyone else started like having like a sad face and, and like, I mean, obviously it's, it's very tough news, but I don't think I processed mm-hmm. it immediately yeah. at the time. And so I walked out of, I walked out of the building um, and I sat and, and then I think like common sense got to me and I was like, Oh shoot, this is what I have. Um, and so I remember I spoke to one of the trainers and she was like, if, if you want to go home, we understand, like, we're going to support you completely. If you want to keep playing, like we suggest that we keep this between ourselves because the last thing you would need is like everyone coming right. to you about this. Like this is already enough for you and your mom to deal with. Like we want to protect you as best we can. Like whatever you tell us we're going to do. So naturally I was like, well, yeah, let's mm-hmm. keep it between us. And I think at the time when you hear that, when you're 18, you don't really know what that means. Like, and it may sound stupid, but I thought I was going to die. Right. Because I don't know. I don't know what that means. And so my thing was, I can't go home. Like no matter what I do, I cannot go home because I don't know what it means to deal with what I've just been told. And so, I mean, I, when I look back now, I don't know how I did it, (laughs) but I ended up winning three matches in qualifying, um, had three battles in qualifying and then went to the Lawn England Club for the main draw of Wimbledon, um, beat Serrano Sirstea in my first round, who I think was 27 or 28 in the mm-hmm. world at the time. And before the second round was the first time I looked up my diagnosis and I start, I just lost it. Like I started crying so badly. I started like reading um, people's experiences and like how hard it was to go through chemo and all this stuff. And Honestly, if I didn't, if I didn't look on my phone, like now, now I'm like, if I didn't look on my phone, how far would I have gone in Wimbledon? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, Belinda Vintage is an absolute beast. So maybe not. But but like, yeah, so that was when I looked that up. I mean, I was a hot, hotty mess in my second So did you not, did you not tell anyone? So just your mom and you knew, were there any friends on tour that you kind of looped in or you're just keeping it in? Um, towards the last, like on the tail end of the qualifying, I told two of my friends, um, but I knew that they wouldn't Mm -hmm. say it to anybody else. And so 
I mean, obviously I felt like I was suffocating, right? Like, how do I, how do I process this? So I had, I mean, I had to tell at least one person. So I told two people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and at that point too, it's like, you're going through this and maybe you just lost your match and now you think you're basically going to die. It's like, wait, who do I talk to? What am I supposed to do? Like, how? Oh no, I was like, SOS, <laughs> like someone told me it's going to be okay. Yeah, so uh, what happened? Of course, like right after that, you broke into the top 100. So that's fun and ironic. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we hate that for me. I was like, this is not the time, Hodgkin. Go is not home, the time. not today. <laughs> <laughs> Leave my body and go back where you came from. I don't want you. <laughs> So take us through what happened after that match against Belinda. You lost at Wimbledon and then do you just go straight into treatment? What did they, what did it look like from there? Yeah, so from there I went to um, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. We wanted to see um, the expert of Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. if you will. And um, we, I knew that it was going to be tough to have to fly there every two weeks for my treatment, but we just wanted to get like – an expert opinion on like what my treatment should look like and kind of give us the rundown of what to expect and all this stuff. So that's what I ended up doing. I think shortly after um, Wimbledon, the WTA released a, an official um, post about what happened and my diagnosis and that I'd be out for a little while. And honestly, the outpouring of messages and calls was overwhelming but in the best possible way um and so yeah from that it was just kind of the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville that's where I ended up doing my treatment so um which was great it was for a five-hour drive from our house um so definitely very easy we did that every two weeks and then I had my three months of chemo treatment and was it how how bad was it like what was the worst part and was there ever a point where you just were not sure things were going to work out and how did you just keep that sunshiny personality going through this hard time um so I remember the doctor was saying initially he was like yeah you know I I need to be honest with you you're gonna feel really bad you're gonna feel like you want to throw up all the time and all this stuff and after my first round of chemo I walked out and I felt great. I felt amazing. And I looked at my parents. I was like, what was he talking about? Like, this is amazing. (laughs) And I walked out. I even drove home. I, like, took a selfie. I, like, sent to my friends. And I was like, look at me. I'm driving. I don't know what the doctor was saying. This is going to be a breeze. And then I got home and it hit me like a freight train. (laughs) Um, it It was really bad. So... I mean, overall, I think the hardest part for me was it's hard to describe what it feels like to go through chemo because you just you just feel weak beyond like your weakest state times 10 is what you feel like every day. I had a metal taste in my mouth constantly. So anything I ate, I mean, I could barely eat. I think through the through the three months, I lost 17 pounds. Wow. And I nothing tasted normal, nothing tasted good. I had like a, an iron metal taste in my mouth. Um, but I, I really wanted to play, you know, like I was like, I, when I'm home and I have the two weeks where I'm kind of like recovering from the treatment, like 
I really wanted to keep playing because tennis obviously is my passion and I didn't want to not do that. So I would go and last like half a second on the court, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I think my practice was more like 10 minutes. I'd go home and throw up and be like, yes, like tomorrow again. <laughs> oh my God. And so, you know, like I, I'm, I'm glad I was able to at least do a little bit of physical activity. I think one of the things that really got me through my treatment, I had a little mantra that I was saying every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd wake up and say, I'm not sick. And I'd repeat it like a crazy person, you know, like rocking <laughs> back and forth in my bed. I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. <laughs> Mind over matter. <laughs> I think for me, I've always kind of felt like I was blessed with the personality that I have. I just innately am so positive and I, I can't. I can't really function any other way. Um, and, and that doesn't mean I don't have my moments. I think we all have our moments. But um, I just always seem to find a way to see the good and bright side of any situation. I'm a big believer, too, and everything happens for a reason. So big part of why I'm the way that I am, I think, is because I I hardly ever question anything that's happened to me. I just kind of take it in stride and I'm like, well, I guess it was meant to happen to me. So that's kind of where I'm at with my psychology on, you know, different aspects of my life that I've had to overcome. That's awesome and very inspiring. Um, I'm going through some personal difficulties in my life right now, and I'm also normally a very positive person, but there's been certain days where I'm like, dang it, it just sucks. So I really appreciate that you can say that you just are always, you know, everything happens for a reason, because sometimes I think even the people that do say that, sometimes we question, like, why is this happening to me? So that's really cool that you are holding to your guns and everything happens for a reason and keep riding the wave. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been moments where I was like, you know, you, you can't, you can't not think about a different circumstance than the one that you've been Mm -hmm, dealt with. Right. So even, even in the times where I'm like, no, Vicky smile, like you're alive, you're, you're well. And there's a lot, you have more luxury than a lot of people, you know, in the world. And so you have to be grateful for that too. For sure. And, but sometimes obviously it's, it's human nature to think about envision something else. And, and I get into that a little bit sometimes, but you know, it's a very conscious effort for me to pull back and be like, no, don't think like that because, you know, you're exactly where you need to be. I think I think in anything we do in our lives, I, I really, truly feel like we're exactly where we need to be. Everyone has a different path. Everyone, you know, they're going to be dealt their own hand of cards. And, and I never feel like we're dealt with something we can't overcome, you know, so. Yeah. Do you yeah. practice any self-care rituals or affirmations or anything like that? Um, not really. So a few years ago, I was kind of getting big into me- uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. I just I can't sit still for that long. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I just I really can't. <laughs> I can't I can't shut down my brain for more than 0. 0.5 <laughs> seconds. So the meditation was just very messy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm saying meditation, but I'm very loosely okay. using that word. I was just kind of sitting on my bed, like still thinking about way too many things. But I mean, I think part of my self-care is is going to the beach. I love painting as well. That's kind of something that's always calmed me down, Mm -hmm. Um, a hobby that just puts me in like a really zen state of mind. So, you know, I'd sit out on our our, uh, lanai on our little back porch and I'd just paint 
whenever I can, you know, I try to do those two things. I guess those would be part of my self-care. For sure. It was a really interesting experience. I wouldn't take it back for the world. I learned so much about myself, about the people around me. Um, In a way, I'm very grateful that I went through it because I think I've learned lessons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Um, And so, yeah, like it was tough. And obviously, it's never good timing to hear that. But especially where I was in my tennis, it was not good timing. (laughs) Wow, you have such a great perspective of it all, though. That's, That's so impressive. And again, inspiring, especially to anyone dealing with anything that seems like it's, it's unstoppable, but that's crazy. And I was going to ask you actually, if you did keep up with tennis, even just watching it, because I could imagine that could be really hard to want to turn on, you know, the U S open as you're going through chemo, that could be kind of frustrating probably, but yeah, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of tennis, um, in the beginning and all the like, lead up tournaments to the US Open, you know, the US Open mm-hmm. series stuff. Yeah. I didn't watch any of it. Like you said, you know, it was really hard for me because I was like, if this didn't happen to me, I would have been there. But yeah. Um I think once US Open rolled around, I mean US Open always has such a special place in my heart. I I couldn't not watch it. Um so it was hard. I mean I think once I was able to turn on the US Open and kind of like, you know, enjoy watching some of the champions and legends play. It was nice, you know, so and I think the ability to be on the court, even though I was going through something so serious, was really nice for me. um, Because I mean, sometimes and I didn't practice every day, I didn't practice that often. But when I did, you know, it was really nice. And I would push myself to the limit of my ability and then go home and feel pretty accomplished for the day. You know, even if it was like 10 minutes or 15 minutes, like I was able to do it, you know, like I didn't sit and all day. So yeah, it was kind of nice. And I think that made it easier for me to appreciate watching tennis too. For sure. So we got you over cancer. You're ready to come back. What did the comeback process look like? How did you know you were ready to come back? Also, I did want to ask you about the maintenance of everything. Is it, are you in the clear for good? Do you have to continue to check on things? Um, Is it something that can come back? Yeah. So for the first four years um, after treatment, I was having to do um, a few checkups. First, it was every few months, and it was kind of twice a year. Um, And then I believe it was last year um, that the doctor told me, you know, we we ran the tests and my blood work and everything. And he's like, you are totally in the clear. And I was like, hallelujah. Mm. Thank you so much. (laughs) Hopefully, I won't have to ever see you again, even though I loved you and you were a great doctor. Like, let's hope this (laughs) is the last time I see you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Congrats on that. For sure. So then the comeback, how much did you train before getting back out on the court? Did the WTA give you protected ranking? How did you navigate that? Yeah, so I had my protected ranking, which I believe at the time when the rankings came out, my ranking was at 92, if I'm correct. So um, I was able to use that once I started my comeback mm-hmm. for one year. Okay. Um, so, that, so that was really nice to have in the back of my mind. And I mean, the process to come back was harder than I ever expected Mm -hmm. um, because it took me so long to rebuild strength. And I don't even know that till this day, I'm fully there, to be honest. And um, I think the hardest part for me was 
anything I did, I was very easily hurting. Um, you know, and it, and it wasn't even like a injury or anything, just like everything would just hurt. So that was really hard for me, like knowing how, how much to push myself, how little to push myself. Obviously, um, the coaches around me were great and trying to sort that out as well, but it was a new experience for everyone in my team, you know? So yeah, for sure. We didn't really know what the bar was and I don't really remember what my first tournament back was. Um, but I remember I played in the U S open, I think in 2015, um, and I just didn't feel good. I just felt like maybe I came back too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the WTA was great. I mean, I'm so grateful to them. They've always supported not only with like my exercises, but just kind of being like that emotional support as well. Nice. Um, so I, t- I took some time off. You know, I was like, I, I need to get stronger. So I started back again um, in 2016 in April. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first tournament back in Indian Harbor, which, oh my gosh, I semied in 80k in my first tournament back after like a little bit of a break and I was like who is she (laughs) well it sounds like you've got a good team around you that is constantly looking out for you and making sure that everything makes sense in your world which is awesome yeah no I'm really grateful for that and um you know sometimes I had issues I feel like of being understood um and kind of like being listened to Mm -hmm. because I'm not one to ever have a pity party. And when I talk to people, I've done a little bit of mentoring um, throughout this experience with a few kids. And that's kind of one of the biggest messages that I have is it just all goes back to everything happens for a reason with me. And I never moped, like even when I felt so sick, so nauseous. And I was like, why have a bad attitude about it? It's not going to change anything. So, um, that's kind of where I was like, if you're going to go through it, you might as well have a positive attitude going through it. So, um, and I think sometimes I had very low lows mm-hmm. on my comeback. Yeah. And because I'm someone who's naturally very positive and very optimistic about everything, I don't think people really understood how much I was hurting at certain times. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was really hard for me to kind of be very vulnerable, but also not really understood because of how I am naturally. Um, but you know, it was a learning curve and I think I'm at a better place now of communicating, you know, with my team and just kind of like understanding that this is a learning curve for all of us. Like we don't really, (laughs) we don't really know still how to process this. (laughs) Yeah, totally. No, I actually, that was something I had written in my notes is that I know a lot of people that are very positive on the outside sometimes do deal with some dark moments and it's hard to navigate that when you're expected to be so happy and so positive and you're supposed to be the one making everyone else happy and positive. And it's just, yeah. it can definitely be a tough situation, especially when, you know, you don't feel like smiling yeah. today, maybe, or you lost a match and you want to cry. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And in a way it was really, it was really weird for me to go through that because at a certain point, I had emotions that I've never really felt so deeply before, like emotions of sadness and sorrow that were very foreign to me, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really know how to deal with them. Um, and I did a lot of work, you know, the WTA helped me out a lot in kind of getting all these feelings out. And I think obviously that helped me so much to just kind of 
process. I did a lot of journaling too, writing down my thoughts, mm-hmm. writing down my feelings for the day. Um, and that helped me a ton to just kind of see like if there was a pattern or, you know, whatever was going on in that specific day. But, you know, it was it was tough. I think for all of us, you know, there's definitely moments where we get into a really sad and dark place and maybe we don't really know how to cope with it. But I think for the thing that helped me so much was journaling too. Like mm-hmm. I I really wrote down everything that was bothering me and and then I and then I would sometimes scrunch the paper and throw it out. Like I just had to write yeah. it and then I threw it out and I was like, Thank you, bye. Like we're not gonna <laughs> do that you again. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Gonna yeah, we're gonna bend that thought. We wrote it down, but we're gonna bend it now. <laughs> yeah. Give it its space and then get rid of it. We don't need to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you, Ned. There you go. (laughs) I love that. We're in this interesting time in society where there's internet bullies and Instagram haters. And uh, since we've kind of built this team T-Dub and we have you guys and you guys are all such awesome members of our team and we love following you and keeping up with you. However, I feel like a mom sometimes because I will go on certain people's accounts or not on their accounts but check out their pictures and look at some of the comments and I turn into like mama bear and I'm like who is hating on her (laughs) excuse me um so there's definitely and it's it's not just you and like we've all we I feel like everyone now is subject to it but I definitely have seen haters on your Instagram and I want to kick all of their butts but how, <laughs> how do you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just one of those things where you can't even take it seriously because if someone's going to go that far out of their way to say something like that, like what's going on in your life? Right, you know? yeah. And so I think for me, a lot of the messages that I get, you know, they're very racially inappropriate, they're derogatory, and they're just really disgusting. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I'm just like, okay, cool, next. But I think the the few times that I do upload the pictures are when it has to do with my cancer. You know, the one that I uploaded most recently, the guy, you know, said something along the lines of like, like he was accusing me of throwing the match and, and like that I went through cancer for nothing or something along those lines. <laughs> so and I was ridiculous. like, do not, yeah. you know, like, do not. That's disgusting. It's, so yeah, it, it literally makes me want to like climb through the Instagram algorithms <laughs> and find this person. And it's it's so sad. And it's I mean, I've gotten a few haters out there myself. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes they really just don't bother me. But then there's other times where I'm like, that one hurts. And I don't know if you ever feel that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's any time that it really has to do with what I've been through. Like, I, I yeah. have called so many names. And honestly, like, my group of friends that um, when we talk about this, I think, luckily, we're able to really deal with it and just like, have have good humor about it. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I know that, um, I don't know if it was Tennis Channel that has I think they did a documentary, I believe, with some of the Americans. Yeah. And well, I know Madison Keys has been very outspoken about the haters also. Yes. And I think she's not, like, she doesn't let that fly. No, <laughs> and I've seen some of the messages she got, and I was like, holy cow. Definitely something we can all just try to be a little bit nicer to each other. And I do have to mention, I love how kind you guys are to each other. I've said this a few times now. I have never experienced a group of young ladies 
that has been so kind to each other. The way that this group of young American women right now, I mean, you guys are all like so supportive. It's so nice to see. I mean, maybe it's always been that way, but I've just recently really noticed it and experienced it. And I'm just like so proud of you guys for being such great role models. Yeah. And and I completely agree with you. I think, you know, I've been away from tennis for a little bit. So, I mean, I think when I was playing up until 2014, I feel closer to the Americans now mm-hmm. um, than I do then. And I don't know if it was from me being away from the sport as well and just kind of having a new perspective on everything. But I completely agree. Even like the younger generation of Americans coming up, like I really feel like the support is amazing for everyone. A few more topics. I did want to talk to you. You've mentioned painting, but you also have your Duval doodles. I don't know when that came about. Is it something more recent? I know you've been kind of connected with, I think, the USTA also in this endeavor. It's really cool. So maybe you can talk about it for a little bit. Yeah. So, um, it kind of came about in the summer last year. And I, like I said, I've always painted and drawn and kind of really gone to art for um, an outlet. And I remember, I don't really remember who I spoke to specifically, but um, I showed one of my doodles to someone at the USTA. And they suggested that I talk to marketing because um, the Net Generation platform, which is a platform for getting kids involved in tennis in the USTA, they kind of wanted to revamp their logo and kind of do something fun for um, the US Open Series tournaments. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun, you know? So I was so nervous going into it because I'm like, I don't know who I'm about to talk to, like some super high ups. And I'm just like introducing these doodles and I'm like, they're probably not going to be impressed. (laughs) Um, And so I did a few sketches and um, I spoke to them and they loved it. They loved the idea. They loved my art. And so we just kind of worked on um, redoing the logo for net generation. And so that's kind of how that came about. And I didn't have any intention on launching a business at the time, but I felt like Mm -hmm. because Duval was going to have so much exposure and, and a lot of free marketing, to be honest with you, right off the bat, I was like, maybe I should kind of, you know, think about launching my own side project and just kind of on the heels of working with the USTA. And so that's kind of what I did. Um, And it was really cool. I hadn't, obviously, I'd seen the production and and I saw some of the samples before they went out, but I hadn't really seen the shirts on the kids until I went to the US Open. Um, And so we had a big project, um, a big event actually at the World Trade Center. And a lot of kids came out, the USTA had a big event. And I saw like hundreds of kids wearing my shirt and I broke down completely. Like I was like, this oh my is gosh. so cool. Like I, <laughs> that is really cool. I hadn't seen it like on that many kids or any kids period. So, yeah. um, and I was, you know, given the mic for a second to speak. And as soon as I started speaking, I saw some parents breaking down too. And I got really emotional because it seemed like, I didn't realize the magnitude of the project at the time. Like to me, Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I just did a doodle and it's on a shirt. Like, cool. But you know, I was talking to some of the kids and they kind of went around the ring of the tennis ball and they were saying like, Oh, this one's in this character. And and this is this. And I love going around the ring and, you know, pointing out every little character. And it was so cool to see the kids love it so much. And it was, it was really, really nice. And so 
I think, you know, right now I've put a hold on my personal project with Duval because I think I was kind of launched into it for myself Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have a plan. And so I've stopped production for now. I think, um, you know, I'm working on building a new business plan and kind of figuring out the direction I really want to go with Duval. And once I feel like I have more pieces in order, um, I'm going to start it back up. And a, and a big part of my goal for Duval is to work with a cancer organization. Um, nice. Obviously, that's something very close to home. So yeah. I haven't picked out the organization that I want to work with yet. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I pump the brakes on Duval. Um, so once I get those pieces in order and Hopefully I can, you know, eventually a few years from now, my goal is to raise, you know, a million dollars for cancer research and have a big kind of gala. That'd be my dream. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you'll have to let us know and maybe T-Dub can, you can create a shirt for T-Dub and we can help you out and get to that. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Let's get it done. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of what's next for you. Is the U.S. Open 2019 happening? Are we going to qualies? What's going on? We are hoping to finesse that qualies wild card. <laughs> yeah, we are. I was going to say, who do I need to talk to? No. I know. I'm like, who do I need to send a really polite message to? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for the time being, it's just kind of doing one to two tournaments and mm-hmm. um, kind of just giving it my all and then recovering. Obviously, we're still in the process of building strength and and uh, getting fully ready for a, a more complete schedule. Um, right. I think Asia. I think Asia might be on the schedule this year too. I haven't been to Asia before, so oh, okay, yeah, that might be a move. I still have my protected ranking um, up until next summer, I think. So okay. protected would get me into the qualifying of some of those WTAs, I believe, in Asia. So you know, I might as well. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yellow. Yellow. <laughs> I'm the only one that still says that. <laughs> I know. Like, Is this even a thing anymore? Oh my gosh. I, don't think so. I was talking to my friend and I said, damn, Daniel. And she's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> no, <come back. laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. I'm not with I'm not with the trends with these. Me neither. I no. Yeah, you're not. I'm not. I said fire the other day in a video, and someone had to tell me that Rad was back in instead, and I was like, oh, okay. Wait, really? I say fire all the time. Am I like not cool anymore either? I mean, if I said fire, then you're probably not cool anymore. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. I have one more question for you. What life advice can you offer to our listeners? You've already offered us like so many gems. I feel like I'm going to go back and listen to this and take notes from <laughs> things that you said. I feel so inspired by you right now. Oh but what's the best piece? Oh my gosh, seriously. Like I needed this conversation with you. It's been so good. Oh, but what, so what's the best advice you can offer up for anyone listening? You've already, like I said, you've already offered so much good advice, but closing advice. <laughs> I think in general for life is to always kind of figure out the good and everything. I think a life advice that I've learned through my treatments is developing a sense of gratitude. Um, I think I took a lot of things for granted 
Um, and then when I went through all my hard times, like even something as simple as enjoying a cup of water without like wanting to throw up after, you know, or, or being able to walk to the mailbox and back, you know, there's things that Mm -hmm. we don't really appreciate enough, I think. Um, and so I think the life advice for me was to kind of develop a sense of gratitude in all aspects of our life, even if it's going through a really hard time, there's always, there's always something good about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times when I, started getting lost in whether it would be my comeback or anything with school or any any aspect of a difficulty I've had to face when I lost that sense of gratitude I felt more miserable and didn't have the same outlook the positivity went down a little bit yeah. and so I think when you take everything in stride with gratitude with the same attitude that everything happens for a reason with the same positivity I think it's, you know, you're able to get through a lot of things a lot easier and you learn, you know, you learn about yourself, you learn about the experience, you're able to help others through the experience. You know, a lot of things we go through, we're not the only ones going through it. There's someone else going through it that's, whether it's directly or indirectly affected. Um, And so I think to just kind of have that attitude um, helps you and, and helps the people around you too. Totally. That's great. I love that. Great advice. I'm sure there are a few people out there that can use that in their lives right now. Now I actually have a little, I think I I keep changing the name of it, but I'm going to call it serve and return kind of question. So a little fun, snappy, yeah, a little quick action. Some of them might not be as quick, but they're still fun. First question, signature shot. What is the Vicky Duvall signature shot? The forehand swing volley. Actually, I'm lying. The backhand down the line. Let's just start over because I messed up. <laughs> oh my god! Cut. <laughs> Who was your tennis idol growing up? Venus. Current favorite player? Serena. What legacy do you want to leave behind? Ooh, yeah, getting deep. Yeah, deep, deep. <laughs> I think for me, I've never really thought about that because I don't think I've like tapped into what. I want to accomplish in tennis yet. So mm-hmm. I think that's a bit of a hard question to answer, but I definitely want to be remembered as someone who brings positivity and never gives up and acts in a very professional and inspiring way. If you could choose anyone dead or alive to coach you, who would it be and why? I think someone that really, really inspired me a lot too when I was younger was Monica Sellis. Cause I think my name was actually supposed to be Monica because my family like really loved Monica Sellis. I I don't know if that story is correct, but that's how that's what I remember like one of my siblings telling me. Um, so we just kind of loved watching her, and I think she was intense though. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I could cope <laughs> with. <laughs> I don't know if I could survive her coaching. Brag about someone cool who follows you on Instagram. Oh, I don't know who follows me on Instagram. Girl, I'm scrolling for days. No one's catching my eye yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All these check marks are disappointing me. Oh, Kim Kleisters follows me. Love her. She'd also be a great coach. <laughs> yeah. Actually, she'd probably, I'd probably pick her over Monica, to be honest. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry, Monica. What's the best thing that someone has said to you while shaking hands at the net? Um... So when I came back in 2016 at Wimbledon, which was 
the first year back for me after everything happened. Um, I played Daria Kazakina, and it was a very traumatic match for me. I lost the first set 6-0 in, like, 15 minutes. I mean, it was crazy because I, I was just so overwhelmed. And the second set was a bit closer. I think I lost 7-5 or 7-6. But I was I was just still clearly a bit, you know, very wired and not, you know, it was just tough for me to be out there. And after the match, she shook my hand. And I don't remember verbatim what she said, but she was like, like, I'm, I'm so happy and and happy to see you back and like I'm proud of you for everything you know things like great job you know coming back and we're happy to see you out here something along those lines and I was like wow you know I I didn't really interact with her prior to that and for her to understand how big of a moment that was for me and to take the time to say that to me after the match was you know really it it's something that to this day obviously is very very important that she you know, very important for me and my memory of everything that's happened. And then last one, best part of being a pro and what's the worst part? Oh, best part of being a pro is definitely traveling and worst part of being a pro is traveling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like obviously it's really cool that we have the opportunity to go to all these places and um, compete as our job, you know, and all these nice and areas that people don't get to go to normally but you know obviously it's exhausting too you have to turn around and get on a plane and then refocus new conditions new everything new venue and you have to get right back in the mindset of competition sometimes you know that's a bit tough totally um where can everyone follow you socially on instagram on twitter on all of the areas that you engage (laughs) on social platforms let's get me to 10k folks (laughs) yeah we need to get vicky over 10k followers listeners so go follow her (laughs) put a link in my stories (laughs) she needs to link in her or in her stories yeah um, my handle is Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y underscore Duval, D-U-V-A-L 95. That's my Insta handle and my Twitter handle. Well, you are just an awesome human being. I'm so excited that I got this opportunity to talk to you. Oh, and thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. I feel like I just had a therapy session. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I think we can all agree Vicki Duvall has an amazing perspective on life. All of us at T-Dub are wishing her absolute success in all of her endeavors. If anyone out there is interested in helping fund her WTA career, Vicki is actively looking for sponsors, as she didn't even have a chance to speak about the financial hardships she faces as a traveling tennis player. Feel free to reach out to us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or find Vicky on one of her social channels at Vicky underscore Duval 95. Also, be sure to subscribe to Talk Tennis so you won't miss an episode and leave us a review letting us know who you want to hear from next. For all your tennis needs, come visit us at tenniswarehouse.com. And until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.